0: Well, I'd like to ask you to open your Bible now to Matthew chapter 2, and as you do, um, think about the opportunities that await us in this new year, and truly, just as, as we can think about the, uh, the Magi and their, their mission in the candle of the Magi, there are a number of ways that this very unique story brings to each of our lives um, a vital and empowering calling to give to God the very best in our hearts, in our lives. And I'd like to ask you to think about it as you as you find that passage there in Matthew chapter 2. And just notice that uh, that the Bible tells us there that Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and, all Jerusalem with him. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They said, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Advent brought us through the witness of prophets, angels, shepherds, the Christ candle, and now, in a time following the birth, A a, a picture that can connect us. It isn't like we leave the truth of the birth of Christ behind and put all the decorations away and clean everything up and then just go on. No, Advent stays with us in the uh, awareness that His promised presence to come to us in person now travels with us just as surely, and in a more clearly defined way, even than these Magi would have known when they left Bethlehem, all they knew when they left Bethlehem was, we've worshipped him, we found him, we found the promised one, and we brought our gifts. And being warned by God in a dream not to go back to Herod due to his deception, they 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 travel with that news. And yet think of what didn't have that we do have. When they said we've seen his star and we've come to worship him, they were acting with energetic resolve on very, very minuscule information. And yet, what have we been given? We read it earlier in 2 Peter. These exceedingly great and precious promises which we might partake of The very nature of Almighty God being imparted to our lives. Wow! So, it's worth the time on New Year's Day to step back and think about what really happens in this exchange. We have seen His star in the east and have come to worship Him. And one of the first things to note, I think, is that that phrase, uh, in the east translates a Greek verb uh, excuse me a Greek a Greek noun a Greek phrase that is describing a that is a word that is used generally to refer to the early burst of sunrise and in Luke chapter 1 verse 78 and 79 It comes in the prophetic voice of Zechariah, translated in most English translations as the day spring from on high, and in some, the sunrise, because in the east, Anatole refers to a brightness that is (laughs) arising. And today, on this New Year's Day, I want to invite you. Liberty Church family, our friends, loved ones, everyone that would hear this message, I invite you into the rising, into what not only came through the prophetic voice of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, but is now the very distinctive astronomical sign that God gives to the Magi. They've come from the east, oh but more literally, it is directionally true, but in, a, in a, a kind of a double entendre in the Greek language, from the east is from the rising. And God is bringing into focus here a truth of the reason we needed the incarnation. Here's the words, and maybe you could read it aloud with me here from the screen, why we needed? Why you and I needed it so much more than even our even with background of biblical understanding, our minds are incapable of grasping many times the depth of our need. It's why the first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are acutely aware of their need. On New Year's Day. Yeah, we're aware of our need for his guidance. And yet that need runs deeper and this is why this text I'd like to ask you to read it aloud for me with me from the screen because of the tender mercy of our god whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. The sunrise from the east. The rising. Not just Rising as a sign, oh no, but a rising that once you come to know Christ means the tender mercies of God are, are touching you. The tender mercy of God. What, what, a, what a beautiful and poignant way to think about what John the Baptist was heralding, what Zechariah was predicting in that prophetic voice. And that is what we've observed in candlelight service, and last Sunday in the my message about the swaddling cloths in the manger, what we've been talking about is incarnation, God becoming man. A few weeks ago, we quickly brought on the screen for us to say together one of the earliest creeds of all, most likely within 30 years of the resurrection of Jesus, uh, a creed that became formed, and it's in First Timothy three sixteen, and it is where the mystery of this awesome truth is is defined into a capsule of phrases. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, suffered for our sins, was seen upon seen by angels, caught up into glory. Other creeds followed that with more with more detail, but but we looked at that, that early, very uh, sparsely worded creed to indicate that this truth of God becoming man is so deeply embedded, not just in the gospel stories, not just in the nativity account of Luke, but it touches every corner and page of Scripture. For God had intended that we would come to know Him, that knowing Him is life eternal. Meyer, about a hundred years ago, a Baptist expositor whose works are, I think, quite rich, he wrote it, described it in this way, about the incarnation of God, that Christ was born of a woman, yet He made woman. He ate and hungered, drank and thirsted, yet He made the corn, to grow on the mountains, and poured the rivers from his crystal. He needed sleep, yet he slumbers not and needs not to regain his energy for each new day. Yes, Jesus wept, yet it was he created the tear ducts. He died, yet he is the ever-living designer who created the very tree from which Roman soldiers shaped his cross. Christ inherited all things by his death, yet they were already his by inherent right. Before the beginning of time, what else can we do but bow in reverence before such a stupendous miracle? Well, that's why, of course, that In the months following the birth of Jesus, Mary and Joseph had kept the infant Messiah in Bethlehem as they coped with those very real human needs of a newborn that I spoke about. Becoming human for God meant that descending from his throne on high, God the Son became totally needy in his infancy. However, they explained it to themselves, these two young Jewish parents had come face to face with the glory of God becoming man. God's eternal deity, now dwelling in human form, surely stirred wonder and awe and curiosity in their souls, and yet the task of daily living were still with them. So so Mary and Joseph dedicated baby Jesus in the temple and settled down for a while in a house near Bethlehem where they had traveled earlier to be counted in the Roman census. Little did they know that deep in the dark starry night, God had placed a sign to draw adoring Magi to their temporary home to lay lavish gifts at the child's feet and to bow before the Supreme King. God's promised Savior. What a scene that must have been. As, think about it, as camels and, and, and the Magi made their way into Jerusalem. Wise men they were called. Uh, just a, an English translation of the, of the term Magi. Somewhat mysteriously understood and yet anchored, as we'll see in the book of Daniel, They came to worship the Messiah. And in doing so, they upset the status quo in Herod's regime. Now, I mentioned earlier that we want to conclude today in giving the treasures of our hearts to God. And that's why right here in this this very crucial part of Matthew chapter 2, it seems to me this, this draws together for us What this year, beginning 2023, could mean with the brightness of his rising, staying luminous on our horizon, as we say, we're not leaving Advent behind, we're moving in the light of real Advent. We're moving in the light of the living Savior, whose incandescent presence can bring each of us to a new conviction, a new fervency, a new joy. So let's think about those gifts a bit. After listening to the king, they went on their way and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now, although the three types of gifts that are mentioned in Scripture, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, are three... There is no proof that there were only three wise men. The truth is, this caravan may have included many magi. We don't know. And if it did, then you can envision that entourage of, of camels and extra help coming into that tiny village of Bethlehem. And through the trek, their trek through the vast desert of Arabia... Their quest was to worship the newborn king, and what's absolutely clear from the Magi's mission is that God used astronomy to guide them. That God used astronomy to guide them to the house where the child Jesus was kept. Now, as far back as Daniel, nearly six centuries before Jesus was born, the Magi had an extra clue, a kind of a, a glistening diamond of divine insight. In the mid-sixth century of, of the mid-sixth century before Christ, Daniel spoke of that coming ruler, a universal king who would arise. He would be the rising hope. A miracle in Daniel's day had sealed that conviction deep in the minds of those who then were called the wise men and their mentors. They all would have been executed by Nebuchadnezzar had God not sent his eternal wisdom through that young Jewish exile named Daniel. It was God's mighty word through Daniel that saved the Magi of his time. With piercing insight and precise answers, Daniel proved God's sovereignty over Babylon and he followed it with this great word. Daniel 2, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he, the eternal God, makes known what is to happen in latter days and so we can imagine, though the mystery was Intense that these truths were passed down and the facts of a coming one became embedded in the search of generation after generation of these wise men. So from Daniel's day onward, they sought for more insight, they groped for light about the coming king of the Jews. Then, as if from nowhere, the star appeared. They knew it was not just any star, it was his star, the supernatural signal of the eternal kingdom at which every knee must bow. Deeply embedded in the prophecies of Daniel and the other sages of of the Israeli people were hints that God would use even the heavenly bodies to make his glory known. One of them had said, centuries before Daniel about the Messiah. I see him now, but he's not near. A star will come out of the land of Jacob, and a a scepter will rise out of Israel. His enemies will be conquered, but Israel will grow mightily. His ruler will come out of the land of Judah. And so, as Jesus and his parents were confronted by these mysterious messengers. What's amazing, and is true this very day, is in what was true in that house for Mary and Joseph, was proof positive that the kingdom of God was truly at hand. His kingdom would embrace all the peoples of the earth. It would touch every tribal group. It would, and that's why in this congregation. Part of our understanding of our, our very existence, our very mission, our, our calling in life, in discipleship, is that we're part of a, of a great network across the globe of the redeemed who are called to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to walk in the promise of Matthew 24, 14, where the Bible says, This gospel of the kingdom of God, this good news of God's coming kingdom, will be made known, proclaimed, embedded into the lives of every tribal group on the planet, and then shall the end come. Though we can never know the future, God embeds in us a futuristic vision. Though we can never know, Times and seasons, as Jesus warned His disciples, He said, beware of those who tell you, there's the Messiah, there's the Messiah. Predictions, Jesus warned specifically against that. And yet at the same time, He put within the very DNA code of His church the futuristic vision. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. For, lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. In a sense, we might say that we're called to welcome a new year, 2023, with the same passion that's reflected in in the departure of those magi, you can just see them as they go with joy. They've divested themselves of treasures. They've worshiped at his feet. They know precious little. They know a thimbleful of what God's made known to you. And yet, with that tiny deposit and the personal meeting of the Messiah, baby, little child traveling into the rising. They're they're doing something that we can do with far greater confidence and far more expansive understanding of those great and precious promises that we read about in 2 Peter. What is our mission? Our mission is to make worship our first priority from this place of worship, this place. Humble though it may be, we go to proclaim the king's majesty. We too, you too, all of us together. We, like these magi, are travelers. Being warned by God in a dream, they returned. Why? To tell of an unseen kingdom because they had been in the presence of the king. Now, there's so many aspects of this that I think are quite quite interesting to think about in light of its application in our lives. And one of them to me is that the rising of reality of Christ himself dwelling with us is spoken of by the Apostle Paul as Christ dwelling in you, the hope of glory, Colossians one twenty-seven. Colossians one twenty-eight tells us the mission of the church is wrapped around that truth whom we preach, teaching every man, warning every man, cultivating in every heart, in every life, in every human heart, a love for Christ, a cherishing of the Word of God, and a sense of mission to serve Him. So these are, these are not some uh, kind of tangent truths. These are very integral to the very essence of who we are as a church body. And on New Year's Day, what a great way to think of the relaunching of that. Both, individ- both as a church and in your family life, and individually, we are given the rising. That wonderful fact, Christ is with you. Uh, a writer by the name of Gilbert Beankin summarized the impact on the soul of the true gospel perspective when he said, Others see only a hopeless end. Followers of Jesus see an endless hope. This is why that traditional word, again, not often understood that well, but epiphany, which in the traditional observances is actually this coming Friday, the 6th of January, but epiphany was marked in hundreds of years ago by various groups of worshippers. And we respect their tradition, though it's not all exactly rooted in Scripture, but we understand many generations of Christians have sought ways to help capsulize and visualize and, and in a sense, memorialize uh, the way of responding to God with honor and, and awe. And, of course, Epiphany is one of those that, in a sense, it marks the visit of the Magi. And it's interesting to me, I don't know exactly when it started, probably about the 4th century, but it's interesting to me that they chose the word epiphany because it's used six times in the New Testament, once of the first coming of Jesus in 2 Timothy 1.10, and then it is used five times of his future coming. And the epiphany is what we might think of it as, in a sense, is Living in the in-between. The kingdom of God is at hand, yes. And Christ has come. And all of us are called to live in the light. It's that sun rising, it's that day spring on from on high that we talked about. Now, I want to have you turn to one other passage of scripture in your Bible, Malachi chapter 3, because here we see in another one of these portrayals of the, of the brightness of the the newness of life that is a part of this following the lord and and responding unto god i think what we can take away from the gift of the magi is is a is a calling today and i'd put it in these words awakening to god's gold standard in malachi chapter 3 The coming of the Lord Jesus is spoken of. The Lord whom you seek, it says, shall suddenly come to his temple. In verse 2, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who will stand when he, the promised one, appears? Those questions ring out on the last two chapters of the old testament before before 400 years of scriptural silence and they they linger even to this day who will stand when he appears do you know friends even now it's still true of us none of us can stand in our human strength in his presence we would be obliterated by the magnitude of his glory 1st Timothy 6:17 says that the the omnipotent savior dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen nor can see. That is, God's immediate presence is to be not only honored and acknowledged, but yes, feared. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Malachi chapter 3 verse 2 says, Who would stand in the presence of this one? Ah, but then verse 3 of Malachi 3 Goes on to give this intriguing promise. It says, For he will purify the sons of Levi, that that priestly caste in the Old Testament era that represented prophetically the New Testament priesthood. Revelation 1 6 and 7 tells us that you and I, through the blood of Christ, have been brought into this priesthood. We call it the priesthood of the believer. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you, and I'm talking to you, my friends here at Liberty Church, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Why? 1 Peter 2.9 says that we might declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, the sons of Levi in Malachi 3.3 three typify the future people of God, whose highest priority is to worship our king. And then the next of Malachi 3.3 gives a prophetic promise that he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them as gold and silver for what... And I want to give you that purpose here as a part of our purpose, that they may offer unto the Lord, he says, just read those few words with me, that they may offer unto the Lord. Could you say it one more time? That they may offer unto the Lord. The rest of the text says, an offering in righteousness. Now, here's here's the beautiful thing. When we come to this, Friends, and and when we come to this on the conclusion of Advent, and we come to this on the fifth candle, the the candle of the Magi, um, we, we get, in a sense, we get God's invitation to respond exactly as the New Testament joins together these imageries that we've talked about in the old with the freedom and Liberty and life that comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to leave you today with this kind of ringing heart invitation from Hebrews 12, 28. You don't need to turn there unless you'd like to mark it and note this later. But Hebrews 12 completes a passage where all of the terrors and and, uh, phenomenal manifestations of Almighty God coming down on Sinai when the law was given to Moses are shown to fade into insignificance compared to the magnitude of the glory of what we've been talking about, incarnation. God becoming human, the God-man. And because of what he did, Hebrews 12 goes on to say, all of us have a greater treasure in heaven. We have even an eternity today. We thought about a a friend yesterday whose birthday was yesterday who we lost this last year, a young father, broke our hearts. And he's in heaven today. Beloved Sylvia that we lost this last year is in heaven. She's in the presence of Jesus. Nancy Bond, who was on this stage for years, leading us, ministering. She's with the Lord Jesus now. And what what I say when I think of this, the reality of people we love, and you could think of many others here as we think about this, is that the Bible says that in that eternal realm, that the spirits of the just made perfect, that there's the blood that speaks better things than the spilled blood of Abel, that it is an innumerable company of angels. Oh, that was just a little ensemble that went to the hillside of Bethlehem to sing a song for the shepherds. Oh, there's an innumerable company of angels. And when it portrays all of this in a a very picturesque way in Hebrews 12, it resolves at this invitation, and I'd like to ask you to read it aloud with me. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And the last verse of the chapter says, why for our God is a consuming fire. In other words, the awesome fear of the heart to the Lord is now in the realm of redeeming grace. His majesty and His glory has been made known in such a way that we can can come to Him. It's an invitation. Say it again with me. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Awe. oh. Yes, 2023, let's worship him. Let's bring the treasures of our hearts to God as worshipers. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that these are not words that ring into a a void. These are truths that are embedded in the hearts of the redeemed. And even as we read in 2 Peter 1 today, that it's by these exceeding great and precious promises that you might be partakers of that which can only be known, can only be known by Him, through Him, for Him, Christ in you, the hope of glory, amen.